The nature of living somewhere is, is often you take the place for granted. Uh, I lived in, in South London for three years, and uh, when I went there to study at Spurgeon's, I thought, London, great, I'm going to do all the things that one should do. By the end of the three years, I hadn't done some of them, but I kind of now go back sometimes as a tourist and think, why didn't I do that when I lived closer? One of those things. A bit like that in uh, Chipping Camden in this funny little town in the North Cotswold. There's all sorts of little gems to be found. I uh, used to go to the, the gym over in Chipson quite often. When I was living, living in Camden, every time I'd go uh, up um, Station Road and, and out towards the Fossway, and every time I'd see just on the left as I left Camden, a sign saying Little Oak Vineyard. I was like, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Camden's got a vineyard. Anyway, one day it was sunny and early summer, and I thought, well, I've got a bit of time. I'm going to stop in. So I turned in, and uh, there before me, unexpectedly, were rows and rows of vineyards. I mean, the sort of stuff you go to south of France to see, it's right here in Chipping Camden. Staycations, hey? Anyway, it was a little bit before they've upgraded it and got all the the visitor center. But um, I decided that I wanted to take a, a look and a stop. It was early summer, so the vines were flowering. And I was walking up and down uh, the lines, the the vines, thinking, these look amazingly lush. I wonder what the wine is like, purely to sample, you know, just curious, you know, part of the town, it's important to do. It was a lovely day. Anyway, I was kind of walking up and down, kind of being told where to look and, you know, don't poke them too much. And I was kind of up at the top end of, uh, of the vineyard. And as I was kind of walking past, just looking and thinking, gosh, this has been really well done, I noticed there were three or four um, vines that looked very different to the others. They'd started to wilt. Everyone around them was really healthy and vibrant and verdant. But not these three. The leaves had kind of gone, and it just looked sickly. So being a compassionate sort, I walked back to uh, the vineyard owner who was waiting for me to sample the fruit of the vine. And I said, I've just kind of been up there and um, noticed there's some vines that are looking a bit sickly. He said, really? Show me. So off we uh, walked back up the row and uh, found the place. And his face looked troubled when he saw them. I've got to cut them out. He said, I thought, oh, well, maybe you could diagnose it first. He said, no, I'm going to get my secateur as quick as a flash. He pulled them out of his back pocket and uh, cut them off right back down to the stem. I was like, there's this big hole then in the, the, uh, the row of vines. I thought, that's a bit drastic. I said, why? He said, they're dying. They may be diseased and perhaps contagious. If I don't do this, it may spread and affect. If I prune them back, right back to the main vine stem, They'll regrow, hopefully, with some time and attention. The wine is very good, by the way. I'm told because of the hot summer this year will be too. Anyway, I want to read to you a passage that undoubtedly will be familiar uh, with that in mind. It's from John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 1 to 17. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. As you probably know that I've, I've just come back from my sabbatical. I know it's, nearly, it's this sort of nearly four weeks ago now. And um, it was such a blessing. Thank you as a, a church fe fellowship and family for uh, allowing this kind of recognized time just to, to stop and to reflect and to read and to think and to pray. It's been great. Really, really worthwhile. And during my time, lots of things happened, lots of uh, things read and pondered upon. But I know there's been a little bit of a summer mini-series mini about growing in Christ. And one of the things that struck me on my sabbatical was this, and it stuck with me, and I've, I've kept on reflecting on it, and John 15 has been part of that journey. And the little phrase, I guess, is this, look for the fruit of the tree you've planted. Look for the fruit of the tree you've planted. I've been mulling it over prayerfully and asking the Lord to speak into that, to shed light on it, to help me understand what that means for me and, and uh, as I think about that for us as a church family. And I've been asking, why did it capture my mind and my spirit? Well, possibly because just at the start of my sabbatical, I turned 50. Uh, I know you're going, surely not, for those who are visiting. Yes, it's true. 
But in those sort of milestone moments, I guess you look back and begin to look forwards a little bit. And in that mulling over of life so far and life to come, I guess I've been dwelling upon and prompted by this phrase, look for the fruit of the tree you've planted. What have I invested in? By that, I don't mean the stock market. What have I tended and nurtured? What have I put my efforts towards? What do I see growing in my life? I haven't yet had the courage to ask others, what do you see growing in my life? But that's a good question to ask. Am I pleased with what's growing or not? Is it what I hoped for and wanted? And if not, what do I do about it? See, the thing about fruit is it takes time. You know, you plant a seed and you water it and it grows and it becomes mature and eventually it flowers and gets pollinated and, you know, you know the biology. Eventually, fruit comes. It doesn't just happen overnight like a beanstalk, but with time, with effort, with engagement. What's fruiting in your life for good or bad? I came across this quote by uh, the author, J.K. Rowling, and I wanted to just put it up on the screen. It is our choice, it is our choices that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. I found John 15 really helpful. It's, It's beautifully encouraging, isn't it? But it's also a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps painful, the sharp challenge of the gospel doesn't just massage us and make us feel nicely soporific and comfortable. There's a point. What do you hear in the readings in verse 2? He cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit. Or in verse 15, 6. If you don't remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire. And burned. Does that what sticks with you? And maybe it's in asking this question what fruit is growing? What fruit have you tended and nourished and nurtured? What is blossoming? There's plenty of times Jesus uses agricultural metaphors. In one time, talking to the religious, he says, you know, this uh, parable, he said, someone planted a fig tree, and for three years they came and they looked for figs and Expecting good fruit, but none was born bad fruit. It matters. But also, it's, it's a wonderfully encouraging passage of growing in Christ because it speaks of rejuvenation. It speaks of life. The effect of pruning is what? More fruit. A fruitfulness that couldn't have been achieved without Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Fantastic. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, verse 8, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Why? Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
So cutting to the heart of the matter, that is a purposeful pun, pruning. Verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in the name of my, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I appointed you. Isn't that wonderful and affirming and encouraging to know? I appointed you to bear fruit. That part of the scheme of the gospel, part of the gift of the Holy Spirit, part of the purposes of Jesus are that we should bear good fruit. Wonderful. That uh, as our young people are investigating with raspberries and uh, the fruit salad of Galatians, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, kind of working out in practical ways, what might that look like? He's appointed you to bear fruit, good fruit, fruit that will last, fruit wonderfully. So we know in this passage that the father is the vine grower. NIV has uh, the gardener or ESV, if you like that one, the vine dresser. In other words, the one who has brought it all together. It's his purpose and plan. The metaphor is so rich. It has deep uh, roots in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in the prophets. And particularly in Isaiah, we're told that the vine and the vineyard uh, is, is often to do with God's covenant purposes, that he's chosen his people. Israel, that he's appointed them, he's gathered them together, and he says they are like a vineyard, that his possession, they will bear fruit, it will be something he will tend and nurture, the nature of the vineyard. Have you ever been given a vine for your birthday, tried to grow them in our climate, it's a little hard? It takes time, doesn't it? They're one of those things that you plant and you, like impatient me, look for what's happening. You know, when I, I used to do a bit of kind of growing of things and I, I bought some tamarind seed. They, they're lovely trees. They didn't grow so happily in this northern climate. But I was so, I'd never grown tamarind trees uh, from the seed. And I was really excited. And, I, and they took a long time to grow. So I started to like disturb the soil to see yet yeah, if they'd grown about half of them. I think I'd pestered too much and they failed. But I was so excited. Is it there yet? Is it there yet? That Christmas morning feeling. Can't wait. Plans and purposes of God often are a bit longer. To bear fruit takes time. But what I want to underline in this is, is these deep roots that, that Jesus picks up saying, I am the vine are very much rooted in the Old Testament with covenant language, that language of how he has chosen his people. I appointed you that we are being called into the very purposes of God that are at work and will continue to be so. That Jesus, we're told, is the vine and that we are the branches, believers, you and me. Wonderful picture of assurance but also in there, clearly, pruning, which can be painful. But why? To bear much fruit. I'll get to how we implement that fruit in a minute. But one of the lovely things about the gospel, and one of the lovely things about John especially, is, is how much abundance there is in God. He's not a miser. 
He's not a frugal God. He's not someone who sort of just gives out the basic rations of just enough to let us get by as if oh, we're in some sort of, uh, you know, kind of feeding program where there's not enough of ample supply. Do you know that? He is abundant and lavish in his grace. John's gospel uh, is especially true of this. When we hear that he, he says, that Jesus says he wants us to bear more fruit, much fruit, it's a sign of that abundance of God's favor and of blessing. Let's chart backwards a little bit. If you have time or the inclination, you can go back or maybe note it. John 14, 12, just before Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than, than these because I'm going to the Father. That's astonishing, isn't it? The invitation and the promise of God to do even greater things than Jesus. Surely not. But we have his spirit and he's promised it. John 13, verse 17. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. John 12. Now I tr truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. When Mary broke the bottle of, of, of perfume, of nard, expensive, she poured it on Jesus' feet, chapter 12, and wiped his hair with her feet. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. It was abundant, over the top. John 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but I have come that you may have life and have it in full or abundant life. Do you get the picture? John 7, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Not just trickles, not a dried up well or a little kind of partial spring, but rivers Living water from within. John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In John 6, in the beautiful story of the, uh, of the feeding of the multitudes, and Jesus takes some little bits of bread and fish, gather the pieces that are left, let nothing be wasted. They gather them and fill 12 basketfuls with the pieces that were left. Abundant provision. John 3, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Of God gives the Spirit without limit. And the very first wonderful abundant story, can you remember it? At a wedding in Cana of Galilee, there were some big water pots. They'd run out of wine. It was Christ. Jesus said, fill it with water to the servants. And they poured it out and they gave it to the master of the ceremonies. He tasted it said, wow, you've saved the best till now. That's weird. Normally you put it out first and everyone gets happy and merry and then you get out the plonk. <laughs> when no one cares. Abundant. Abundant life. I have chosen you. I have appointed you to bear fruit. What fruit is growing in life? You probably heard as we read through the passage, there is one word that keeps coming up. 
Can you remember it? The word remain. If you remain in me, and so forth. 11 times in just 17 verses. In the NIV, remain or abide. Bit of an old-fashioned word, but a good word. I looked it up. Abide means to abide. Funny that, isn't it? These dictionaries are great. But it can mean to wait, to remain, to delay, to remain behind, to survive. In other words, it's pointing towards, this is worth hearing, a long-term relationship, an abiding, a remaining, a committed, resolute decision to be with another, Jesus, of mutual indwelling. He remains, abides in us, and we in him. Someone said it like this, whatever is truly fruitful is birthed out of relationship. That's really important. Whatever will truly, sorry, whatever is truly faithful, fruitful, is birthed out of relationship. No wonder Jesus says, abide in me. Have you begun that relationship with Jesus? Have you got to that point of saying, my life's growing stuff and I don't like this? Come to him. He welcomes you and chooses you. Remain, abide in him. The vine. The central in the theme of, of John's gospel, the heart of, of God, the good news announced and revealed to us through Jesus Christ, that God is for us. And this invitation to come, remain in him. I didn't know this, but I discovered it as I was preparing for this. Do you, do you know what the very first words that Jesus says in John's gospel? It's in chapter 1. In verse 37 to 39. He said, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. That was John the Baptist they said they'd heard. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? His first words. Interesting. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That word staying is this word remain, abide. Where are you staying? Where are you abiding, Jesus? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, where he was remaining. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. That, of course, that invitation of the gospel is to come and see, to come and follow, to be with Jesus, to remain with him, not to kind of go on and moving on now. Got something better to be, somewhere better to do, somewhere I'd rather be. That the disciples saw in this Jesus, he is worth remaining with. And Jesus says, come and remain with me. And through those, this, the arc of the story, of the, and we've got to the 15th chapter from the first, very centrally, Jesus says in this vine, this branches, this, this vineyard that God is purposing and calling together, remain in me because I am in you. Fruitfulness grows from that abiding. I found myself preparing the sermon, humming a tune. Any guesses which it was? Abide with me. It's a hymn that always crops up, rightly, I guess, at funerals. 
It's a little bit of a slow tune. Beautiful, abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. I won't read every verse. You can look it up later, or maybe you know them. And in a sense, absolutely right at that transition point of life to death to life. That's where the rubber hits the road, of remaining in him, the certainty, as he will say, I am the resurrection and the life. But let's not just push that to the door of death. Abide in me. Remain in me in the living, in the now, and bear much fruit. So how? Words are so vital in this, particularly the words of Jesus. We're to be learners who receive his word and abide in him. 15 verse 4, remain in me, abide in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The words of Jesus are so important. Again, all the way through John's gospel, we hear of the power of the word of Jesus to make us clean. Just in chapter 13, at the Last Supper, as John phrases it, it's a foot-washing moment. And Jesus takes off his outer garments and and washes the disciples' feet. And and Peter, being a classic Peter, says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who's going to betray him. The power of Jesus' words, you are clean. When you come before God, if you're in Christ, I know we, we, we have to repent and forgive us our transgressions. and tr- transgressions. But do we doubt that he says, you are clean? Catherine's going to get baptized next week, and one of the things we've reminded her is, like a bath, you're washed clean, but the baptismal water doesn't do it. But faith in the truth of Jesus' words, you are clean. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. What did Jesus say to the adulterous woman, John 8, when they were going to stone her? You are forgiven. Go and live. When Peter had denied Jesus and was betray- had betrayed him in a different way to Judas and had failed and fallen and was broken in his heart for having let down Jesus, what happened in John 21? Do you love me? You are restored. You are restored. 
Sister and brother, it's really important that we grasp and take in the words of Jesus. For they help, <laughs> help us know the truth. Truth sets us free. I committed on my sabbatical, I don't say this is a bit of a trumpet blast, but I, I committed on my, uh, on my sabbatical just in February to, to read afresh from Genesis right through to Revelation. I finished on the 31st of July, having read the, uh, the whole of, of the Bible again. It was about seven chapters a day. Some of the chapters are longer, like Psalm 119, longer day. Some of them are wonderfully short. But I was so glad to do that again. To be reinvigorated about the importance of attending to Scripture. Why? If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Really important to re-emphasize the importance of the Bible, the words of Jesus and of God. You know, the more we do it, the more we see. I'm not much of an art buff. I go to an art gallery and I'm with my friends who love it. And, I'm, and in fact, 15 minutes, I'm bored. Oh, not another portrait. And they all look really dull. Hermie did art. I was thinking she'll tell me off later. But I remember being taken to see a Monet exhibition in London once. And I'd heard of Monet. It's a good start. And I went in and there were these huge canvases. I'm sure you've seen pictures of them. But to stand in front of, they're not little postcards. They're vast. They're a bit like the shutters there. They're huge things. And of course, you can't go up to them and touch them. You can draw close. And, and sometimes you just need to step back because he's an impressionist and you, you, you see the colors and, the, and all that. And, and I was like, wow, it's you know the, 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 the lily pond and all that stuff. I could tell I'm an art buff on all that stuff. My art friend said, go and look closely. And I was like, all right. And as I went forward, you, you, you don't see the whole thing, but you begin to see the beauty of the brushwork. And in, its, in and of itself, it's magnificent. But there's always that moment to take a step back and see how that brushwork, how that artistry and the merging of paint and impressionism makes this beautiful, evocative picture. In many ways, the Bible is like that. We can step close and, and look at the detail and the, the precision and the beauty of words and of how things fit together. But there's also a place to stand back and see the big picture. We only do that by going to it and seeing it and letting it see us. That in scripture reading and via the inspiration, the spirit who enlivens that, we have to be willing to face the truth about ourselves. It says it's a bit like a mirror that is held up and we see ourselves clearly. Or it lets us know which bits need to be pruned and what prevents the fruit from growing or bad fruit from forming. What fruit's growing? But it's really interesting where Jesus takes this. Have you noticed? He talks about the vine, the branches, remaining, abiding, absolutely. And then in verse uh, 9, he changes the picture. No longer is he using a metaphor about, uh, about a vineyard, and, and it's a rich metaphor. He says this, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy may be in you, my joy may be in you, and that your joy complete. And goes, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. That in the image of the vine that we are in him, he pushes this and says it's friendship. Loving friendship. For someone who's been brought up religious or from the background of other faiths or atheism that says there is no eternal relationship, this is astonishing. I heard one lady on a news report yesterday in, in Somalia sitting by the side of the road and her cattle had died and she's starving because of the drought. And the reporter said, uh, what are you hoping for? She said, well, whatever Allah purposes. No hope. Just a f- resigned fatalism. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not Jesus. He says, I've called you, I've chosen you, I've appointed you to bear fruit and to be my friends. I'm a friend of God. I've not sung that for a while. It's true. I am a friend of God. To be classed as friends of Jesus and his disciples. Do you doubt it? Jesus has said it. Let the word remain in you. I'm a friend of God. What do friends do? They hang out. They're not just social media friends that are just accumulated as a list. Friends hang out. Friends talk to each other. Friends find out what's going on. Friends share life together. Friends look forward to seeing each other. Friends speak the truth to each other. Friendship is great. He calls us friends and he loves us. So this language of abiding is stretching because he wants us to grow. As the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now this is going to take you a long time to comprehend. I haven't got there. Hear this. As the Father has loved me. How much does the Father love Jesus? It's going to take you a lot of words to get there. And probably even then some. And you'd be saying, I can't find the words. As the Father has loved me. From all creation, in all time, through all eternity. Coexisting with his Son. Eternally bound in perfect love. How do you begin to describe that? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Wow. No greater love. Now remain in my love. What fruit are you bearing? As I kind of self-reflected, and I won't air my dirty laundry in public, Metaphorically, of course. Uh, I recognize there's things that need to be pruned. There's things that I've attended to, spent time, that I kind of think, was that really worthwhile? 
could I actually now repurpose that time, that effort? Because Jesus is for it. Purpose to bear much fruit. I have a book that I bought on sabbatical, which I'm going to start reading. It's a great title, We Become What We Worship. If you remain with Jesus and worship him, you'll become like him. We become what we worship. How do we abide and remain? Well, stick close to Jesus. Come, see where I stay. Spend time with him. You're doing it this morning. Well done. You're here. Invite the Holy Spirit to let you journey with Jesus. Take the next step. Pick up the Bible. I'm sure you do already. Invitation to pray. Hang out with his people intentionally, purposefully. I mean, through the pandemic, we, we managed with online, but it's not perfect, is it? We're not perfect. But it's far better to be in the person than online. It really is. We can do the formal thing where we can, we can uh, listen to the worship and join in. We can hear the message being delivered. But we can't interact as friends so easily online. Remain in me. It's really, really great to be together. More than we can begin to know because it's where that friendship develops. With him, and the outwork of that, he says, love one another. See, the thing about being online, or remote, or separate, is you can quite quickly put the mute button on, go and make a coffee, <laughs> turn off the video screen, and look at something else. But when we attend with one another in the presence of Jesus, seeking him, Remaining in him, fruit will grow. Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come. Sometimes uh, these things can need reflection, can be very personal. Sitting with the Lord, allowing him to to show us how we are, to diagnose, to restore, to heal, to cleanse, to forgive, to bring fresh joy. But sometimes it's really important that we make that mark, we make that decision, we make that resolve. Not to carry on drifting, to say, yeah, I'm going to start again, try again. And you know what he called us to do it together. Let's stand as, as we sing. Uh, it's